Americans are facing serious problems with our healthcare system, skyrocketing costs, a lack of patient access, and inefficient delivery. Despite all the political debates and media coverage on healthcare policy and reform, there is typically one glaring omission. Feedback from the people in the trenches, the doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals who provide care to the patients. To shed light on these critically important issues, we are joined by Dr. Alejandro Badia, Chief Medical Officer of OrthoNow and author of the acclaimed book, Healthcare from the Trenches. Dr. Badia shares his personal journey of becoming a national leading orthopedic surgeon and why he is so dedicated to scaling his healthcare delivery model. Join us to hear Dr. Badia's powerful message for every American to understand the root causes of our healthcare crisis and demand meaningful reform. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Dr. Badia. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Well, given the recent publication of your book, Healthcare from the Trenches, and your work as a leading surgeon in our nation, I'm looking forward to this important conversation today. But before we dive into your inspiring work and timely message, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and to interact with the global ecosystem. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Alejandro, it's almost time for our community to learn from you about the root causes of our healthcare crisis and the demands we can make for meaningful reform. But first, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so our community can get to know you. Randomly select a question here. Ooh, what is one thing that you love to do outside of your work as an author, as a surgeon, and as a pioneer in our industry? What's that one thing you love to do? I would say uh, dancing. I think my Cuban roots have led me to anxious. I used to be a competitive ballroom dancer for a time, and I actually hope to go back to that. So I like to dance, whether it's when I'm out boating or at a social event, and that dancing is an important part of who I am. How old were you when you first hit the dance floor? 14. And what brought you to the dance floor? <laughs> well, you know, it was always entrenched in me with being Cuban-American. And my mom started getting into ballroom dancing. I thought it'd be a great way to meet the ladies. And I ended up doing all, you know, through beginning of college. And then I got busy being pre-med and I was playing rugby. So <laughs> rugby and ballroom dancing don't often go together. And I just, you know, transitioned away from it, but I still do it socially. So I'm definitely not a ballroom dancer. I don't have the skill to do that whatsoever. But Alejandro, is it a skill that you can learn over a lifetime? Is it something that you can always go back to, learn and improve? And then also, what does it do for the mental health? Is it a good stress reliever as well? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, if you're listening to music and focused on what you're doing on the dance floor, it's a great way to disconnect. And it is something that you can do for a lifetime. And, you know, it can be good exercise. So it's just a great activity. And do you compete at all? I did years ago, and I'm not sure I'll go back to that part, but there is, you know, at all different levels, you can participate. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. You are the first ballroom dancer that we've highlighted on the podcast, so we'll send you the medal on that. Thank you for sharing that, Alejandro. That's exciting. I always love to hear when you really think about things that you've grown up with. You mentioned your mother. I mean, how incredibly special. Hopefully, we can get back to that setting where we can convene and get back to a dance floor with all of our friends and loved ones here soon. So again, thank you for sharing that, Alejandro. And I'm looking forward to sharing your inspiring journey, mission, and message with our community after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. As the scope and complexity of revenue cycle management grows, especially during these unprecedented times, Ensemble is leading the industry in revenue cycle management performance, ensuring their partners rank among the top performing health systems in the country. On average, Ensemble is improving their clients' cash collections by 4 to 6%, lowering unbilled days to less than 3, and their clients' first pass denial rate is now 4.5%, better than Healthcare Financial Management Association's industry best practice. Ensemble's work in lifting revenue cycle performance helps providers buy new, durable medical equipment, hire more physicians, and expand their facilities. Ensemble is proud to be helping the flagships of American Healthcare to better support the communities they serve. And speaking of community, we are incredibly grateful for Ensemble's support and community champion sponsorship of Passionate Pioneers. To learn more about Ensemble and the passionate mission they are on, head over to EnsembleHP.com or visit the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Alejandro and we have much to discuss. Well, first and foremost, you have written a book, you're a surgeon, you're leading an entire practice down in Florida, but obviously that didn't just happen overnight. I know even as a child, you aspired to be a surgeon. Can you take us back to that history lesson of how you got to where you are today? Where was that ignition? Where was that fire in the belly to become a surgeon? Share with us that journey, and then we'll talk about current state with OrthoNow as well as your new book. Certainly. In the book, in fact, the first third of it is dedicated to that journey of becoming a surgeon, because I think it's important. I think it's important for the public to understand where that comes from. It's not for the faint of heart. I had an early interest from about eight years of age, definitely was always interested in sciences. And important to know that my family in Cuba were pretty prominent in healthcare. So I learned about this later on in a lecture I gave where I researched my family history. So I definitely had the genes, so to speak. My mom, when we were immigrants, my mom worked as a nurse for some time. I used to pick her up late at night and I loved the stories. And then I ended up getting into a great university, fortunately, which allowed me to cultivate that and get into medical school, which was NYU. And pursuing really what I thought of for a very long time, I read the book, The Making of a Surgeon, when I was 11 years old. And I read it again when I was 16 probably to help me uh, test study for the SATs. So that book was very inspiring to me. And ironically, I would end up training at the same institution, uh, Bellevue Hospital, where the author trained. So it's kind of been meant to be. My field of hand surgery, I was interested because my grandmother suffered from really crippling rheumatoid arthritis. And when I was eight years old, we went to see a hand surgeon in New York. Ironically, that surgeon, Bob Carroll, at Columbia Presbyterian, trained the person who would train me 25 years later. So that's uh, pretty amazing. And how has it been being a surgeon? Was it everything you expected? Were there twists and turns that you didn't expect? 
How fulfilling has it been for you? And of course, what are some of the hard lessons learned? You know, pull the curtains back a bit. What are some of the down points of being a surgeon? Because not all of it is, you know, roses. I always love hearing from leaders like you. What is it really like in the trenches? Certainly. What first comes to mind, unfortunately, is not necessarily all the positive feelings I've always had. And I think that was the genesis for writing the book. I would say the essence is really being able to help people using your hands, being able to fix something in a very expeditious fashion. You know, one nice thing about sort of being a surgeon, particularly an orthopedic surgeon, is different than, say, you know, internal medicine, is that you get almost that immediate gratification. And that part is fantastic. The challenge is all of the hurdles and barriers that gradually have escalated to the point where it's really an onerous process to be able to deliver healthcare nowadays. And that's the part that often comes to mind first now, which is unfortunate, and why a lot of physicians are retiring early. You're so right, man, it is. It's a crisis within even the crisis that we have now going with this pandemic, and it has been some challenging times, and then even further exacerbated with this global health public crisis. So you teed me up, actually, Alejandro. I I do want to talk first about 11 plus years now, you founded and leading Ortho Now. I want to talk about that journey, which then will springboard into kind of how you just teed it up in regards to the book, Healthcare from the Trenches. Let's go into Ortho Now first. Let me tee this up. Ortho Now is a network of specialized orthopedic care centers focused on sports medicine and the treatment and prevention of the full range of orthopedic chronic conditions and injuries, all on a walk-in basis. Services include treatment of arthritis and other chronic conditions, as well as injuries of the hand, wrist, foot, ankle, knee, hip, spine, and shoulder. And what I love as well is OrthoNow offers preventative consultation, wellness programs, and regimens by experts in orthopedics. Give us how this even got going in the first place, where things are with OrthoNow, and where you kind of maybe see things heading in the future. And then again, from there, we'll springboard into your new book, Healthcare from the Trenches. The genesis of OrthoNow is similar to why I wrote the book. It was really done out of frustration. What I can tell you is that every Monday, which is my main elective consultation day, virtually every patient I see has been somewhere before me. And I got to thinking, why is it this person with, say, shoulder pain ends up going to, say, a general urgent care center where the well-meaning physician or physician assistant doesn't really know a lot about the shoulder, probably couldn't name the anatomy any longer as just like I don't know a heck of a lot about the eye, even though I'm a physician. So I said, why are we treating musculoskeletal problems at at the primary care level when there's so much to know nowadays? And I said, let's bring that access of the public, the patient in need to the right clinician. And why not have walk-in centers similar to the explosion of general urgent care centers, why not have specialized orthopedic walk-in centers? That has really been a game changer, but the challenge continues to be that in our system, innovation is not really encouraged and certainly not rewarded, I can tell you. So this is the challenge I continue to face, but it really was born out of frustration. Well, I'm right there with you, Alejandra, you know, my day job, I'm not a full-time podcaster, at least any time for the foreseeable future. But my day job in leading emerging technology partnerships for Olive, one of the leading artificial intelligence companies for healthcare, I know exactly what you mean. I've been in these trenches myself for my whole career. 
And you're right. We aren't incentivized for innovation. I'm just going to jump on my sandbox for just a quick moment because I couldn't agree with you more. The incentives that we are currently have a line in the industry are in reverse are perverse. And we definitely need leaders like you on the front lines to really move that forward and really start changing the game for us. And I think, again, as you mentioned, this is why you took the time to write this book, Healthcare from the Trenches. Can you share where the aha moment was? So I always love bringing authors on because I aspire one day to be you. One of the things I want to do one day is write a book myself, have some ideas, but I want to learn from you first before we talk about the book. What was the aha moment? You know, was it through the experience of going to medical school? Was it with Ortho Now? Was it everything all added together? Where was the aha moment for the book? And then let's talk about how you actually pulled it off. Yeah, the aha moment definitely was coupled with the frustration of trying to bring ortho now to really to a national and maybe even international forum. So I realized there was all these hurdles, not only to delivering healthcare, but to actually solving the problems. So what happened is I wrote a chapter in a book about breast cancer for women. It's a book written for patients and their families. And I was asked to write the chapter on the upper limb manifestations of breast cancer, whether it be with you know, radiation treatment or surgery with mastectomy or lymphedema, all these, there are problems related to the hand and upper limb. And I got to meet the publisher. It was an indie publisher, independent publisher. And I spoke to her and I told her I had this idea. And then she immediately jumped in and says, you know, my dad's a vascular surgeon and he's just retired and he has the same exact frustrations. And this is somebody, you know, 20 years older than me. And I said, well, you know, I'd really like to tell the public about this because you're not getting this from the popular media. They're not explaining why healthcare is so incredibly expensive in this country in particular and so cumbersome to access. I'd like to tell a story and not just me because I want different contributors. So I brought together 27 people from different areas of healthcare delivery, including some patients, and told the story. The biggest challenge, of course, is getting people to hear the message and to actually read it. That's a whole nother challenge. And in regards to the book, I just want to ask some questions here that I think need to be addressed. You're an innovator of your own right with the things that you've done with OrthoNow, how you think, and the message that you have for the industry. I myself, I've been a serial entrepreneur and a disruptor and an innovator in this space. And folks like you and me, we are upsetting the apple cart. These are messages that a lot of people don't want to hear. Because status quo has treated people very well for a very long time. Have you upset the apple cart with your message? Have you had colleagues or friends or peers in the industry say, you know, Alejandro, you need to tamper that down. That's a little out there. Any thoughts there? No, I wouldn't say it's coming from either colleagues or patients. I think that the healthcare delivery infrastructure, which is largely dominated by the people paying right? The payers. And they have not given me any backlash. And frankly, I think it's because they don't really take the time for the most part to read something like this. Once they do, maybe I will get it, but I have a message for them. The message is us clinicians want to collaborate. I am a capitalist. My family left Cuba because we love the free market and be rewarded for your hard work. And I see no reason why insurance companies shouldn't do well. But, you know, I learned from the United Way that you can do well by doing good. If we're doing something good for society and we make it cost effective, I think everybody benefits, including the payer. And perhaps that's the greatest frustration is that 
one of the largest insurers anywhere is literally walking distance from my office. And I still cannot fathom why they don't come to me and say, hey, we're spending incredible amount of money on orthopedic problems with people going, say, to the emergency room when, you know, the hip fracture, the femur fracture deserves to be there, not your kid's ankle sprain, you know, from the soccer field. And now with COVID, I mean, nobody wants to be in that hospital environment, right? I'm puzzled. I explore this in a book and I say it's almost intentional. I think there is a wall between the people who pay for healthcare and the people who actually deliver it. And when you think about it, that makes no sense. We should be collaborating and it will help both of us and it will certainly help society. Well, for the sake of this discussion, Alejandro, I do want a devil's advocate because I want our community to learn from you. And I also want to learn how you square with the following. You mentioned that you are a capitalist. Your family left Cuba. I applaud that. I think that's wonderful. That's the American dream, right? When you square that, and again, I'm just doing devil's advocate for sake of argument here to learn from you. When you square this notion of being a capitalist versus where we currently are in industry for fee for service, hey, Dr. Badia, he did a shoulder surgery. He's going to get paid regardless of the outcome. That seems like a pretty good setup for a doctor like yourself. Why in God's green earth would you want to go to value-based care, fee for value? Why would you want to even go there in the first place? I think if you provide good care, you'd want to be rewarded for that. And it frustrates me that say, and I talk about this in a book, you know, one of the better cardiothoracic surgeons have certain outcomes that maybe the folks who are not as gifted are. Why should Medicare reimburse the exact same rate for both of those clinicians? There's absolutely no other profession that's like that. If you're a good attorney or a good accountant, you know, little by little, you can start increasing your fees and you get rewarded for that. Medicine's not like that, but I've always said that if we can have a very efficient healthcare, there's a lot of money left over to be able to treat the less fortunate because one of the issues, of course, is whether it be the uninsured or people who don't have access to healthcare. I think that we can change that. I think there's more than enough money in the potty to be able to give everybody access to good care. But right now, there's so much money being wasted and so many barriers to getting care, and all of those things end up spending resources that we can change. So there is a lot of value to providing good health care. Value-based care, I think, is a positive. It just requires all of us to get you know, in a room and hash this out. And right now, that's not happening. People are not really talking to the clinicians. Well, and that's a perfect segue to one of the key quotes from your book, Alejandro. You said, quote, it's time for every American to understand and be educated about the root causes of our healthcare crisis and demand meaningful reform. How do we do that? This machine is so big. We're now, what, $3 trillion industry, 20-ish percent of our GDP and growing and growing rapidly, especially now further exacerbated with the pandemic. How do we do this, Alejandro? There's a couple of very key points. So the first one is you have to involve the people actually providing the health care in this conversation, not just politicians, lobbyists, insurance administrators, and, you know, the high profile, you know, the Sanjay Guptas and the Fauci's. I mean, those are very bright people, but they're not necessarily really in the trenches. You've got to get people who are actually delivering the care to say, hey, I have this challenge every day. And if we made some changes, we would save a lot of money. And that would end up creating a more efficient, less bloated system. 
So we have to minimize the middlemen. And there's a lot of them in healthcare. In one point in a book, I say that authorization is a four-letter word. Well, you know, authorization is really a ridiculous concept that came about just in the last few decades. I mean, what person is more qualified to decide if something is needed than the right physician, right? But certainly we would all agree we need oversight. I mean, there are bad apples in every profession. So there may be people who overutilize or overorder tests. But if you have some an oversight process rather than a barrier at every step of the way, that would save money. The other thing is requiring transparency in healthcare pricing. And I know the current administrations tried to do that. And hopefully the president-elect will continue that process because that is something that definitely the apple cart does not want to be disturbed, but it has to be. This is not sustainable what's happening. We are almost at 20% of our GDP. Couldn't agree with you more. There is one more thing about disturbing the apple cart. I really make the argument, and this happens in other countries, including, for example, Germany, I illustrate them, that health insurance companies shouldn't be for profit. It's fine if they do well, then the executives deserve to be compensated accordingly, but they should not be answering to Wall Street. It does not make sense that United Healthcare is a stock that you can buy on the market when really that money should be put back into delivering healthcare. Then you can still have competition, but that would really be a game changer for healthcare delivery. Well, thank you for sharing that. And then also Alejandro in your book, chapter five specifically, forging a new path. We've already talked about it a little bit on the front end of this recording in regards to innovation and being difficult at times. Within that chapter, Forging a New Path, you discuss the difficulties of healthcare innovation. Can you paint that picture a bit for us and maybe where we can go next to maybe drive true innovation in the industry? Yes, certainly. There is an excellent article. Basically, it's why is innovation so hard in healthcare? And that was a Harvard Business Review article, which goes into uh, six basic points about changing healthcare, whether it be a, you know, a medical device, a new drug, or a new process like orthonal. Uh, these are all innovations of different types. And we, we're seeing now with this vaccines, one of my best friends, by the way, his uh, wife is one of the key people for Moderna. And it's amazing to hear from them how, because of the need, all of a sudden, the process is fast-tracked. And while it's still, safety is still paramount, a lot of the red tape, unnecessary red tape, has been minimized. And that's the way it should be across the board for our healthcare system. So the message is simple. We need to vet out innovations. We need to minimize the hurdles. And that will bring cost savings and bring, at the same time, better healthcare. And it's just something that makes sense. But again, if the people in control, whether it be our legislators or the healthcare insurance executives, if they don't talk to the people actually in the trenches, how can we possibly move forward? We've had two great examples here in 2020. One you just mentioned around the vaccine, and then the other one at the outbreak of the pandemic. Look how much we accomplished just within less than a calendar year around telemedicine. Unbelievable, the regulation red tape that was cleared the path. So physicians and providers just like yourself can still connect and deliver care in new vehicles for the patients that so need it. So, you know, two great examples from just this year alone. So you're spot on, could not agree with you more. Obviously, keeping efficacy top of mind, letting that lead 
but making sure we get the heck out of the way with the red tape to allow these innovations to flourish. As an example, though, while we've been using telemedicine, for example, at Ortho Now, we offered it for years, and yet people didn't engage. So part of that is that, again, the payers were not communicating this to their insured lives, and that could save them money, correct? So we've been, that's the problem is the innovation has been there. It actually took a pesky little virus to bring forward and have people actually utilize telehealth. Well, now the real trick is to not try to jam that genie back into the bottle. And the thing is that to me, people call it telehealth. I just call it health, right? You're delivering health to your patients. It just happens to be through a different vehicle, which, you know, we're seeing a lot of great outcomes around it. And I hope we can continue to push forward around telehealth. I'm a huge fan of it and a big proponent in regards to cost savings, reaching, you know, disenfranchised and minority groups within our country. I think we can continue to push on that and continue to watch it flourish. That is my hope and goal. Well, let's talk a little bit of future state here, Alejandro. Obviously, let's get back to Ortho now. We'll talk in a moment where we can find your book, Healthcare from the Trenches Online, where we can get ourselves a copy and all of that in just a moment. But I do know you have a little bit of future state with Ortho now. You kind of teased it a little bit ago in regards to further expansion. What's your vision for Ortho now moving forward? Well, my vision is that the kid I mentioned on a soccer field who sprains his ankle, the vision is that the coach, the soccer mom, even the kid themselves would not even think of going to a major hospital emergency room for that kind of problem. The coach might whip out their iPhone or Android and go to the OrthoNow app and hit a little button trademarked called On My Way Now. They'd be able to find the nearest OrthoNow. They'd be able to send a picture of that darn ankle sprain. The x-ray machine would already be set up for an ankle instead of a lumbar spine series. And that kid could be in and out within 70, 70 minutes or less with the appropriate treatment. They can call an Uber and now a Lyft within the app without even having to exit the app. That is the, in a nutshell, the vision for how orthopedic care can be delivered. And we need to democratize that. And the only way is to get it into multiple communities and to have really a large strategic partner, somebody maybe already has a network of facilities that could then tag this on. That is a vision because right now we might say, you know, bring me coffee, but we say, can you get me a Starbucks, right? That is the phrase. Well, I'd love to hear in the future, hey, you know, can you get me to an ortho now when you wake up with debilitating back pain? That is in a nutshell a vision. Well, thank you for sharing that. And speaking of community, what is one problem, need, or question that our community can be helping you with? We have nation's industry leaders listening in, working alongside our guests, just like yourself, to continue to push the health of our industry and nation forward. So with that, where can our community be of help to you? You did mention a seeking up strategic partner for OrthoNow, but is there anywhere else that we can be helping you with one problem, need, or question? The website for OrthoNowCare.com. On there, there's a page for investors and we were a franchise. So right now, again, we're looking for the right type of capital. Obviously we need capital, but healthcare, as mentioned already, is so complex. You can't solve it just with money. You really need to have somebody who understands and is already immersed in healthcare delivery. So the way we can be helped is to simply reach out to us and let's collaborate because certainly I can't do it myself. We've done it locally in the Miami market. We see this really going national and then international. Well, thank you for sharing that. We will leave that website in our episode notes. 
But also with that, Alejandro, where else can we find you online? That is including your book, Healthcare from the Trenches. Any social media handles, websites, or otherwise, where can we get a hold of you online? My website's drbadia.com. That's just D-R-B-A-D-I-A, seven letters, dot com. And then the book, you can go to drbadiabook, one word, dot com, or you can find healthcare from the trenches on Amazon. It's a new one, number one bestselling, like multiple categories. There's a lot of reviews there. It's pretty easy to find. In terms of social media, we do have a Facebook group called Healthcare from the Trenches, where we try to generate some heated discussion on healthcare issues with the book sort of being a starting point. And we really welcome people to join that and contribute their ideas and play devil's advocate, please. We need engagement. That's the biggest challenge for me with this book and the concept is getting people to really engage and say, okay, let's roll up our sleeves together. Well, love it. We do have a passionate community that loves to do exactly that, challenge each other, you know, assume nothing and challenge everything. So know that we have that community behind you. And that's why I wanted you to be on this episode and on this podcast to share your message with our community. So let's round it out here so we can get you back to your patients and all the wonderful work that you're pushing for down in Miami. We have a fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because... I feel patients should be seeing the right clinician at the right time. Brilliant. Well said, my friend. Well, Dr. Badia, thank you so much for taking a pit stop here today to be with us, to share your truth, to share your message. Congratulations on your new book, Healthcare from the Trenches. We are celebrating all the work that you have in front of you today and tomorrow. But for now, thank you for being with us and sharing your message with our community. Thank you so much, Mike, for your time. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.